0: Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host Louise Salas, and with me, as always, is my very, very talented friend, who is a lover of all things spring. The mixtress, DC Gina.
1: Hi, Louise. Hi. That
0: is one hundred percent true. Do you have little baby chicks yet, and little things? Um, those things happen in the spring they in your do. little format.
1: So in the winter, so in the winter, you order them or you pre-order them, and um, this year. Um, uh, chicks and ducks and anything that lays an egg is like high commodity yes yeah so and, uh, and we know that like um the egg farmers become the new drug dealers. so i'm totally <laughs> psyched. so yes we are adding an um, ovo dealer i know right i know seriously we added chicks Weavos. and ducks
0: and then it's also our busiest time of year
1: right wow. because we're planting and seedlings and
0: i want you to be the wavis cartel wavis cartel i mean
1: yes right <laughs> Do you want me to speak Spanish only? Yes, do it. Because you know think. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love this time of year. It's my it's my muddiest, greatest um so, like sauce of the earth. Yeah. It. Mud. I just. I don't know. I just. It's my favorite.
0: Tis the season.
1: Yes. Yes. I can't wait for my new, my old ducks to meet the new ducks. They get so mad every time I introduce a new duck to the flock. <laughs> They're like, "What is this?" They get quacking.
0: So crazy. you don't have like chicka bam chicka bam time with your own, uh, for your ducks and your chickens. So you um, make your I own do, ducks and chickens. I do have
1: one drake, <laughs> and um, you know, he's a little aggressive, but just because. He mixes with only one kind of duck. And like, I, what I've learned is that other ducks can't, they don't really cross, um, Yeah, you know, make babies. So it's good. But this year we're getting geese too. So that should be fine. Geese are mean. Yeah. Apparently, you need, apparently, we didn't know this, but when you have a farm, you need at least um, one set of uh, goose and a goose and a gander because. They're better than a watchdog. Oh, I bet. Yeah, they literally, if anything's happening, they are like, that's so all I want to Yeah, they're mean as hell. It's what I understand.
0: Honk, honk, like, honk. I'm good at the, meh, like a duck, but not like the honk.
1: Yes. 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 Uh, and they're also very active at full moons. So that's why I know that they're like completely in tune with the earth. There you go. Well, I think
0: most animals are. We're just, it's ones insane. That like, yeah. I love it. All right. So let's go back to the show, shall we? <laughs> yeah. All right, so all this talk about spring brings us to the spring equinox. Um, So that you know, it's March 20th, and it officially marks the end of winter and the beginning of spring. And I'm sure you know this, Gina, uh, but in case somebody doesn't, um, it's a very old pagan holiday um, that's been celebrated around the world by the ancient cultures, Dramatic, Celtic, Roman, Mayan, um, Persian, century century old holiday and still today pagans and wiccans consider the equinox a significant holiday and celebrate with rituals that this totally makes sense honors new life and new beginnings the spring i mean let's be honest that's easter right uh woo, heretic um so <laughs> in fact um just you know occultism has um been on the rise in this country for a long time Um, we're going to go back to 2019 the pew research center found that there were approximately at the time about a million and a half people who identified as wicca or wicca or pagan Um, and this is what's crazy it and that might not sound like a lot but it outnumbered the the members of the um, presbyterian church yeah there's Hmm. about 1.4 million of them at the time in 2014. Now, in, but they say by 2050, the number of practicing pagans in America is projected to triple by six, to 6.6 million people, which sounds like a lot, but really, apparently, it's about 1.5% of the population. So obviously, it's becoming more and more popular, but I think many people don't quite understand. So this brings me to today's... Like doom metal. Nobody understands that. No idea what you're talking about now. Exactly. But So let's get back to thing. this show. So let- I'm going to edit that out because I don't know what to do with that. So to help us understand the many facets of occultism, we have today's designated drinker. From magic to mysticism to mind reading to mentalism to seances to phys- psychic readings, that's what today's designated drinkers are going to talk to us about. So please welcome to the show the celebrity occultists, Dan and Kat Eckhart. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks Hello. For glad us. to be here. Yeah. So that was a lot. So much. But can the two of you please just simply help level set and help us understand what is occultism?
2: Yeah. So the occult, Kat and I were talking about this just a few days ago. Like, what is the occult? Because we think about magic. We think about witchcraft. Like, all these things are kind of floating around. Paganism, Wicca, et cetera. Levitating. And,
0: Levitating le- sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Um, craft. But occultism has a specific kind of thread that it follows, which is really uh, based out of a kind of hermeticism, uh, so looking towards hermetic philosophy, which uh, mythologically we trace all the way back to Egypt, but really the occult is kind of a researcher. It's someone who looks for the common threads in multiple magical traditions and pulls those forward and says, okay, what is the common praxis here? And what is the common metaphysics? And from that, what can we find that actually works when we're practicing magic?
3: Right. So what are we studying? It's astrology, it's divination, it's old techniques of magic, Mm -hmm. going back to Greek uh, culture, Egyptian culture, and much more. As you know, occultism has been around for uh, as long as humans have been around. Yeah. Um, the term was coined in the 15 or 1600s, and it really it was associated with all things hidden. Yes. So hidden knowledge, especially having to do with the stars.
2: So there's nothing in the word occult that means like a cult of people, like a cult of, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, somewhere out in South California, you know, doing like UFO so worship. We're not, we're not, so we're not we're going like to drink God. any Kool-Aid yeah, or anything it, like that. Watching,
0: Watching comments. Right. right. The word
2: occult yeah. simply yeah. means hidden. So an occultist is someone looking for those hidden traditions, often within other hidden traditions. So looking at something like Wicca, which would be considered kind of hidden or downplayed or it's becoming bigger now, but certainly it wasn't always. Um, the occultist looks into the metaphysics of Wicca, into the practice and says, well, what are these things that are valuable here and what are the things that we can kind of move on from? A little bit of,
0: a little bit of pick and choose. I'm yeah. I'm kidding, uh, it's I'm, development. Development. I'm kidding.
2: Because magic is an art and a science. Matter. And so there needs to be forward progression when we talk about magic. Um, magic isn't a religion in the same way that we look towards dogma and we look towards instruction and we look towards traditions to orient our place into the world. Magic is kind of a forward-moving, ever-evolving process.
3: Yeah, It's more of a, a practice than yeah. having to hold a certain set of beliefs, although there are beliefs that are more associated with occultism and paganism, and that's where you're going to draw back into earth-based practices yeah. and revering nature, Animism. things like that.
0: Oh, I actually put that in my notes. Wait there. a minute, so, wait a
3: minute. You said
1: animism? Like, animism, yeah. Is yes. that is that, like, I, I, so, I'm guessing, I think I know the answer, but I'm, I feel like now I don't, so.
2: Yeah, so animism. You probably do. You probably yeah. do. Most okay. people do, they just don't call it animism. Okay. Animism is one of the oldest kind of spiritual beliefs, and it's simply that everything has a spirit. Oh. So it's different than panpsychism. Panpsychism is the belief that everything has, like, um, uh, a psychic reception or psychic projection. Like, so... Uh, a panpsychic belief would be that the plant can speak with me and I can speak with the plant. Animism is more that the plant has a being and is an expression of being. So there's a little bit of nuance there, but in animisms, everything is speaking. I'm
0: loose. just going to tell you that plant isn't real. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What? No. <laughs> Come on. No, it's so interesting, because you mentioned that in uh, when we were talking the other day, and I didn't know really a true understanding of the word, and I Googled it, Who? how did we ever live sure. without it, and went to good old Wikipedia, yeah. and, and I was like, oh. And I was gonna ask you, really, and you guys jumped right into it, what was your view on this? And it's really interesting, because at the basis, when you talk about, and I'm gonna tell you, magic is a, an odd word for me to use in this sure. space. It's interesting the way I look at theology really has to do with like from a, more from a historical base than sure. from a belief base. Mm-hmm. So when, when if you look at occultism or those type, that type of I, practice is the, I guess the right word. yeah It really, it's funny how much there's funny, how much there is crossover. And the fact that the truth is many of our Christian religion beliefs are based on older sure cultural beliefs in pagan whatnot. We had a really great guest during the holidays a little bit. We did. We listened a lot you on that. You yeah, No, Kyle. Okay. Uh, yeah. We listened a lot. We didn't get to talk much on that yeah. one, but he it was demystifying Christmas and talked about Can the pagan religion and, the, and where Santa. It's, a, comes good, it's a good episode. It's a great yeah. episode. Yeah. 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 He was, he was full of so much knowledge, but it's really interesting is to see how those beliefs to your point, when you're saying you look at where they come together and and take what's great about them and, and try to leave behind what's... You
2: know, what's yeah. no longer useful. And I think that's the way to frame conversations around occultism is like, what matters and what is useful? And that doesn't mean that people don't find value in exploring like Gardnerian Wicca, something very grounded in like a 1940s to 60s kind of view of magic. But the occultist is interested in like, the belief that there's magic for our time, that there is a specific type of magic that makes the most sense now. And that's a co-creative conversation between practitioners, between spirits, between the planets, like, what is the medicine we need for now? Today, ceremonial magic isn't going to make as much sense as it did in the Edwardian era. Yeah. And so we don't need to like dress no, it's up gonna like look pharaohs. Different. That's weird.
1: <laughs> I would like to bring back that, though, because
0: all of my favorite gardens
1: are For grounded sure. in that, and I think that like, I love that.
0: So you went to do your gardening dressed as a pharaoh? No, 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 no. no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Edwardian era, they had like... they, they in plain sight, they had gardens where they would be able to go outside and like perform their ceremonies and stuff. But like it would be, it would be, it would be on the grounds or available to everybody, and nobody realized what it was. It was hidden in plain sight. <laughs>
2: yes. So the occultist would say, okay, cool. The garden component is something that we should really like resurrect like we should be out in nature we should be working with the cycle of the planets but we can still leave behind you going out into your garden dressed as a pharaoh Like that we can, <laughs> yeah. that's no longer useful
1: right right I know I understand yeah I understand that, I think I that's feel the like only
2: reason Gina wanted to do it
0: <laughs> <laughs> my whole goal
3: is to figure out how I can
0: wear a, a turban and a caftan for the rest of my life
1: so you are correct
3: I think we should normalize you know wearing <laughs> things that are comfortable yes but, yeah. and cotton so for we're thinking about and loose fitting. You know? Yeah. Yeah,
1: just like, just be yourself, kind of like, yeah, your being.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, dress up and performance can be a part of ceremonial magic.
2: Right. Ritual. And yeah. the idea that, like, so from a magical perspective, when we put on a certain attire, maybe the reason we're putting on that attire is it makes us feel the most magical while we're in it. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily holding the wand that actually induces the working with magic and with power. It's the fact that that is the play acting we do that allows us to bypass the conscious mind and work directly with the subconscious.
0: Huh. Oh, I do love that. Well, it's it again if you go back to other like more say traditional religions and Especially this part of the world. I mean, think about what nuns wear, or priests wear, or or bishops. I mean, like the big giant hats like look like buckets on top of their heads. Yeah. It's just kind of those things, where the swinging of the of the essence and the smoke and all the of those mur. Rich, the myrrh, yeah. All of I was like, whatever that stuff is. <laughs> I was not born, raised Catholic, obviously. Uh, <laughs> um, I think the, it's it's as um, unusual or Different as or frankincense, it mainstream. My or
3: frankincense?
0: sure. I, I can't it's remember, it's smoky, whatever I thought it, it
3: is. It was like sage. Yeah. I don't, I can't quite remember. It smelled wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I believe it's
0: frankincense
2: yeah. now. Yeah. It's
0: frankincense. I believe
1: it is. You know yeah. better than I. So, well, sorry, I just had to, you know, if it's too uh, quick, you know, going back. Did I ever use that in a cocktail? No, <laughs> because you, you know, it's poisonous. Okay, great. Yes, yeah. that.
0: <laughs> but I think that my changed. Rolodex
1: is going crazy. <laughs> Okay, I heard sorry.
0: it. Um, I know. Uh, yeah. But I think to that point is that when you talk about like, it makes you feel a certain way, it is it is part of what would be mainstream tradition or religion that we see that happening. And maybe, you know, seeing a wand makes some of us scratch our head and go, huh. Yeah. But the truth is you start looking at all the things through the same lens, then you kind of go, huh.
2: Yeah. It's <laughs> the question of like, why do these symbols, why do these uh, tools, why do they resonate with? what affects us beyond just like a cultural component of, oh, I go to church and see the priest doing whatever, what affects us about the actual like ritual on a subconscious level? And I think whether we're talking about like mainstream religions like Christianity or Islam or Judaism or less mainstream religions like you know Gardnerian Wicca, we're still looking for symbol sets that impact us in a deeply felt way, that give meaning and allow us to enact agency.
1: I, I I need a second to suggest that because I'm just you know what came to my mind is like when like when you're saying this right, is like Baha'ism, right? Like sure. so yeah, so Baha'ism to me really isn't like really encompassing all the religions, it's accepting it, whatever. It's more of um, you know, the picking and choosing of what should stay about those religions and go, which is it's like almost like its own version of occultism, right? Because you're you're picking what's best sure. for for the common good of man. Mm. Do you have to believe that yeah. or am I like crazy and saying that? Because <laughs> like I feel like when you ever more you talk, I'm like, well, it just keeps reminding me of like
2: yeah.
3: That, that. Yeah, that sounds a lot like chaos magic.
2: It does. And it's important to note like how influential quote unquote Eastern religions are in modern magical praxis. Um, mostly because they do provide a different frame of reference or a different way to think about the world. But chaos magic, as Kat said, is totally that idea of and not even selecting things for the betterment of humanity or the betterment of the world, but selecting things that make the most sense for you as a person. Because everybody's individual like way of interfacing with the world is going to be slightly different.
3: Right, and it can be different from moment to moment. Yes. So you can do a ritual based in like a Christian tradition yeah. in the morning, and then in the evening do a satanic rite. Right. And there would be no sort of... Uh, cognitive dissonance there. You just adopt no. di- different beliefs uh based on what you're intending for the ritual.
0: It's funny you just made me go what? Yeah. And but if you think I do things that are absolutely like, oh, why do I throw salt over sure. my shoulder. You know, like literally those what we might say superstitious right. or superstitions, but that it's funny I did a when you said the difference between, you know, the gods mm-hmm. and that from, we all get these rigid views of these things but as you're talking about like oh don't we do that all the time yeah. why do I say bless you when you sneeze you right. know like all of the things that we do it's very interesting you're just like level setting all of these things
2: well we see that a lot in folk magic like if you look at Portuguese folk magic or Italian folk magic or Mexican folk magic it all has this kind of orientation around a Catholicism, because that's like the cultural religion, but it also has its own unique explorations into figures like Kat mentioned, like Lucifer or Santa Muerte, or these figures that the church itself is like, hmm, I don't know if we can officially sanction this. It's called but a the,
0: simulation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but the people have no yeah. cognitive dissonance between, oh, yeah, I worked with the devil on Saturday and I'm going to mass on Sunday. Yeah. And yeah, the priest might tell me that's a bad thing, but I've known that priest since he's a little boy. And, you know... I'm just here for the Eucharist, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm that's just hungry the,
1: no. I do that every day. I work on Saturday in a bar, serve a bunch of drinks to everybody, and then I go and pretend that I, I'm a great Catholic on, on Sunday with my kids.
0: You know, so. I, I, I identify with that.
2: Okay, great. Well, I
0: mean, I mean, if you really think about like the, again, religious journey, especially when you go into like, Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. um, I mean, those are... Very old traditions mm-hmm. that predate the Catholic Church introduction to Mexico um and you're right it is totally acceptable and 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 brought in and you know i I put an altar every year I ask my parents to come back yeah and the evil spirits in my home that can be that cannot be any further than most Christian Christian views, but it is one hundred percent a part of the culture
2: yeah yeah.
3: Yeah, I think that the reverence for our ancestors is really what drew me into an Orthodox uh, practicing of Christianity, and then ultimately that led to occultism. <laughs> yes. yes. So it's Christianity led to occultism. I like that. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. Going but, straight to uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's where all the cool people are. That's <laughs> what I always say. I always say, yeah. That's, but
1: I'll know everybody yes. there. <laughs> Do you? Is that really how you got there? Is that like something like you
3: were like mm-hmm. how? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's one of one of the ways. I mean, yes. there are many things that drew us to magic and occultism. Yes. Um, and a lot of it was based on seeking that mysticism mysticism and spirituality that I knew was imbued in the world around me. And I just wanted to join a kind of community of people and belief set and system uh, that really elevated that belief.
2: That is one of the funniest things when we talk with people who are like are coming from a Christian perspective or from a, a space of either firm religious Christianity or a cultural Christianity, which is like, how does Christianity lead you to a cult practice? And historically, whether we're talking about Catholicism because it's come up or other like, you know, lower denominations, like say a Baptist denomination or something like that, that's more low church, not so liturgical. If we look to their histories, most of the magical grimoires written in the Middle Ages were written by priests uh, and they were written by monks. Like So there is a tradition of magic, of occult magic, of like, I'm taking command of the elements, I am working my will in the world within these traditions. Even, uh, you know, I grew up Pennsylvania Dutch, um, the long lost friend is a folk magic grimoire for Pennsylvania Dutch people who otherwise would be like magic, Harry Potter, that stuff's evil. But I still totally do this ritual because it works. And that's the, uh, that's the beauty of like a chaos magic perspective is, oh, we can just do these things. Like we have agency.
1: I find out Pennsylvania to be a fascinating place, but I'm not kidding. Every time somebody brings out something, something comes from there. And I believe because when people, you know, yeah. migrated from Europe, they landed in, a lot of people landed in Pennsylvania. And it's an interesting. And um,
2: a lot of them were religious weirdos. Yeah. Like a lot of them <laughs> left because they had like weird beliefs. And that's cool. Like I'm a big lover of weird beliefs. So whatever. But was, there is this. I
0: did find that funny coming out of your mouth. Just, right. I was like, like.
2: Yeah. Uh, so you see like this real. Um. This real There's a book by Mitch Horowitz called Occult America, and it's excellent because he goes through the history of the way hidden occult beliefs, and whether it be witchcraft or magic or whatever, influence the way we kind of perceive our American society today, things that we otherwise wouldn't associate with, like these hidden traditions. Um, but the most prominent that comes to mind is spiritualism out of Rochester, New York, there are uh, all
0: kinds of cookie weird religions that oh, came out of upstate New York.
2: Absolutely, yeah, so many. Oh, Jenny super, Kremel, came super from influential. Stadium. It's a beer. It's terrible. Oh,
1: <laughs> sorry. No, super, sorry. It's Disney drink I'm Sorry.
2: It's fine. Um, super influential to the point where, uh, at the height of the spiritualist movement, we have. Um, Abraham Lincoln, uh, we're right in yeah. Virginia, Abraham Lincoln's right across the way in the, in the White House and he's holding a seance yeah. uh, during the Civil War and allegedly got military advice on how to run campaigns in yeah. the Civil War based off of his time with a medium at a seance. So when we think about these things, and magic sometimes gets a rap as being like very low culture. It's not something the elites do. It's not something, unless you're like conspiracy. Uh, you know <laughs> but magic is something for people who aren't so serious when we look at the history of it like people have been working this sort of work even in spaces that we wouldn't assume that they do
1: i definitely believe in all of that i, I love i first of all a, a good psychic's the best uh-huh. um a good medium is also really wonderful i stopped seeing the median after my my um grandpa had passed away and i went to see one with my mother mm-hmm. and it was too it was too real too real yeah. and i just was like and they were like well she's like well you're, you're, your your family is very open i so said my grandmother was a straight guy and she's there like we know because we can talk we like literally was able to speak to him mm-hmm. and like very quickly and i was like yeah well, you wouldn't know that about him and like it was yeah. just too it was too um it was too it was it was a lot right so like I i stopped that because i knew that like I was gonna dive too far. Mm. And like for me, and like I don't mean that like as in I didn't, there's certain people in your life that you don't wanna like open that. For me, I don't wanna open that. Sure. I, I get nervous about that kind of stuff. And I have a daughter that's very in tune with like space and she's somewhere else. She's doing, something else is happening to her. And I'm like, she reminds me so much of my grandmother and it's so weird. And I'm yeah. always like, cause it's like just seeing another person come back and she never met my grandmother. You know, my grandmother was was deceased when she was born. So,
0: oh, so uh, speaking of spirits, Gina. Yeah,
1: yeah. Speaking of spirits, I think it's time
0: for. A, I think it's time for a tip and trick. It's so definitely
1: time for, a, I would say, an enlightenment. There you go. Yeah. Instead of instead of a, a tip, we're gonna do an enlightenment. Oh, there we go. So we're here with a new trick today, right? Well, is it a trick? Is it a little magic? I don't know, but we're gonna talk about it. So you know. Why is it when you cut a piece of fruit or citrus that you're just like, oh my gosh, it smells so great, and all of a sudden you have a smile on your face. When you smell pink grapefruit or blood orange or pineapple and you're like, oh, it's just making me happy. Well, you know, is it magic or is it your senses or it's just what, you know, the feelings that it brings? You know, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And using them in your cocktails, you know, you add um, grapefruit to a salty dog or, you know, a blood orange to a Negroni. It has a different um, context and it makes it like really like happy. Well, some of the things we're gonna talk about today is just kind of putting in, you know, grapefruit, right? What goes with grapefruit? Why is it so wonderful? Well, with grapefruit and cinnamon is like a wonderful combination and it like invokes a feeling of um, happiness and remembrance. So is it a cocktail trick? Or is it um, a little bit of witchcraft? I don't really know, but all together it doesn't matter because when you put the two, it's just so wonderful. When you take Blood Orange and you're like, oh my gosh, Blood Orange, like, what, like it just smells so wonderful on its own. And you're like, that's really great. And you take a little bit of ginger, just raw ginger, and you kind of like make the two marry together just, just ever so slightly. And you hold them open and you smell it and you're like, oh my gosh. A whole different smell, it's a different profile, it's a different flavor. Sure, you'll juice these things and use it in your drinks, but experimenting with the way that it makes you feel and the happiness that you take from it is what makes your drinks personal to you. And it's the magic in your glass.
0: So Gina, I have to admit, I would have never thought about putting grapefruit and cinnamon together.
1: Isn't it nice? It's lovely. And it really smells and it really it speaks to you, like it kind of like it just makes you happy the two scents together. But, like, also when you taste it and stuff like that, it's just, like, a different, um, it's just has a different feeling. And, like, you know, it's, like, really rich in, like, Indian culture.
0: You know, grapefruit always makes me happy, especially when you put tequila in it. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same. That's how I like my grapefruit. Thank God for um, those Mayans. Yeah, I know. My peeps. Um, So, where are they going
1: to go to get this tip, Trix? You're going to go to Show. Um, for all my tips, checks, and enlightenments. Um, <laughs> That's and how, drinko. show. And also how to get to our guest today.
0: Yeah, yeah, because you, you definitely want to find out some more.
1: Or but, you could
0: just think about yeah, it. Yeah, I was just like, didn't you just go... Yeah, so just or, they can think, or they can think you do that, by Yeah, there you go. Thoughts? Do a like, Reiki-ish thing, I don't know. Reiki? Yeah. Reiki, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't
3: know, I'm trying to do Are we something. Are Reiki? Uh, astral projection is probably what you're thinking of. Yeah. yeah, see? Yes. Or telepathy. See, I wasn't far off. Uh, um, I'm telling you, I...
0: It's this... my chaos. I bring Reiki to the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there it is. There it is. All right. With all that silliness, it brings us to the end of this very magical part one with celebrity cultists Dan and Kat Eckhart. Um, but if you're anything like me or anything like Gina, God help you. One round is just never enough. So go top off that drink and get ready for part two of this episode as we continue our boozy banter. And Gina's going to share a delicious Dan and Cat inspired cocktail recipe. So you know it's just going to be downright magical. Har, har, har. <laughs> the Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a Latino owned, strategy driven, creatively fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, we craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, From dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, please don't forget to follow, download, and review the shows. Your reviews help our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.